Yes, you are listening to Law and Gospel on Insight Wednesday, January the 24th in the year of our Lord, 2018. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. I'm all by myself. Yesterday I was with Mark Smith, tomorrow with Wes Reimnitz. And here's the question that I would want to ask you uh, for this particular broadcast. Is a person good-looking before he or she is good-looking? Is a person good-looking before he or she is good-looking? I was recently going through a advertisements from Costco, and I was really surprised to see how many items that they are selling to help a person be better-looking than they are. There, there's items to take care of pimples. There's items to take care of drooping eyes or eyes that don't water properly. There's items about hair, one after the other. And, and so would you not agree with me that a person is not good-looking until they are good-looking? And sometimes that means they need to wash up. Sometimes they need surgery, or whatever is needed today for a person to be considered as good-looking. Oh, well, wait a minute. I, I don't know about you, but every time I see a baby born or a real small baby recently born, I have a hard time considering them as good-looking. But if you ask the mother or father... Boy, are they good-looking. <laughs> you see, good-looking is in the eye of the beholder. And, and so a lot of times, when you look at yourself, you'll say, oh boy, I'm not good-looking, I should have combed my hair, or I should have put on some deodorant, or whatever is necessary, or better clothes in order to be good-looking. But... People who are close to you, especially parents, they'll consider children to be good-looking, regardless of whether, from other people's point of view, they are good-looking or not. Now, why am I saying this? Because it's for today's insight. Let me ask you another question. Is a person righteous... Before he is righteous. Is a person righteous before he is righteous? I guarantee you, if you go out into the streets of your city and ask that question, uh, people will say, no, he needs first to be righteous. Then he can be considered as righteous. It is impossible for people to believe that someone who tends to lie every now and then or maybe has stolen some things, that that person can be considered as righteous. And yet I'm going to say the same thing about being righteous as I said about being good-looking. Being good-looking, if you look at it from your point of view, you may not be considered yourself to be that good-looking. And so you do things to fix up your face, wear better clothes, this sort of thing. But then 
you still have those parents who consider even a newborn baby to be good-looking. Guess what? That's what Christianity teaches. We believe, teach, and confess that a Christian is righteous before they are righteous. You have to define terminology. Remember, theology is the art of making distinctions. When a person properly examines their own life, they will not find a life of righteousness. Because for them, righteousness not only means doing things that are correct and moral, but doing them for the right reason. And yet, there is a parent who will consider you as righteous before you consider yourself as righteous. And that parent is none other than God the Father. Well, I would include the whole Trinity, of course. This really is a critical understanding of the Christian faith. It's a critical understanding of what really happened during the time of the Reformation. The Reformation made it really clear, the Lutherans, that apart from Christ, which is the only mediator who satisfies God's wrath, there is no safe haven for the frightened conscience. Because the only thing that the frightened conscience can do to hope that it is righteous in the sight of God is to rely on your works to make them more righteous. And instead, you are driven to despair. It it kind of explains what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago when I spoke with the atheist. He was driven to despair. To the point where he could not believe that God would punish him for acting normally. Because he was unable to act morally. And so... What did he do? He came to the conclusion there is no God. That's just a self-defense mechanism. It goes to help calm his conscience. Because he was driven to despair if he thought that salvation, he must rely on his works. See, this is what I was saying, that atheists are closer to Lutherans than agnostics are. Agnostics simply are saying, I don't know if there's a God or not. But atheists definitely say there is no God because they don't want to rely on their works to be saved. Which, guess what, is the Lutheran position. But they are unaware of it. What does Christianity teach? Christianity teaches that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ... The believer in Christ, and that means believing the promises connected to that death and resurrection, God therefore pronounces us as perfect. 
You see, it is blasphemy, therefore, to think that we're perfect in God's eyes and justified because of our works. There's a kind of a technical term that's used in theology that I'm going to explain. This is the insight for today. And that is that our salvation is of a forensic character. Well, what does that mean? I'll give you a very simple example. Let's say I get a ticket for going over the speed limit. And maybe I was going over the speed limit. But I go to court and I ask the policeman if he had tuned his radar prior to leaving on his shift. And he says, no, I forgot to do that. And then I say, well, then how do you know your radar detector was correct and what my speed limit was? And the judge throws the case out. I'm considered to be free to go, no penalty, not because I wasn't going over the speed limit, but because it was a situation where the policeman had not checked out his radar detector ahead of time. In fact, I I just saw a uh, true life story of a woman who was convicted of murdering her husband. And yet two years later, they threw the case out of court. And you know why? Because the prosecution had used a letter from her husband implicating her in his murder warning others what she was going to do. And the court said, because the husband could not be questioned on that letter he wrote, since he had been murdered, therefore it was inappropriate to use the letter to convict her of the crime. Now, she probably was guilty of it, but she was freed. See, that's forensic justice, where regardless of the true situation, and in our case, that we are not righteous in our works, God declares us to be righteous. It's a judgmental call, and it's referred to as forensic justification. This was really the key to the Reformation, because if we are forensically justified and declared to be righteous in God's sight, then our works can't count at all, because our works always are short of meeting the glory of God. Let let me explain that a little further. We are pronounced righteous by the Holy Trinity freely on account of Christ, although we have not yet satisfied the law. It's like saying, my parents considered me to be really good looking, even though I had not yet met the requirements of being good looking from the world's point of view. See, it doesn't matter. All that matters is the pronouncement of the parents. 
So also, it doesn't matter whether I'm a sinner. All that matters is the pronouncement of our heavenly parent. Namely, I haven't satisfied the law because satisfaction of the law not only means outwardly obeying it, but also inwardly being properly motivated. You see, this is where things get really confusing. Christians are referred to as saints who have sins. How can they be saints? Because they are pronounced righteous by God's mercy. In other words, despite the remnants of sin within ourselves, we are commanded here to look outside of ourselves to Christ for our righteousness. We've talked often about the glorious exchange. It occurs at baptism, for me as an infant, when God took my sins and exchanged them for his righteousness. Pastors wear different vestures for worship services. Some now wear the alb, which is a, a one piece, but I still wear the cassock and the surplus. The cassock is dark, the surplus is light and white. Guess what? The cassock stands for sin. The surplus stands for the robe of righteousness. And that robe of righteousness is mentioned in Isaiah, Revelation, and alluded to in other passages. I am righteous in God's sight. Not because I am righteous in my works, but because I have been pronounced to be righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that it's not necessary for me to obey the law? No, it's, it's kind of, think of adoption, which I think is one of God's favorite metaphors for how we are saved. You adopt a child, and an infant who is adopted is never adopted on the basis of his or her works, because they're not doing any works. But when they get home, they're expected to fulfill the works of the family. Be on time for dinner, clean your room, uh, make sure things are arranged properly to get to school, study your tests, etc., etc. None of those works make you the child of those parents. You're already the child of those parents through the adoption. So it's not that works are unnecessary. It's just that they're unnecessary for becoming the child of the parents. But then once you're in the family, that's a necessary ingredient of being a child. But even when you disobey those works, it doesn't cut you off from being a child. So also in Christianity, 
when we receive the righteousness of Christ, we also received, as it is said in Acts 2, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we begin to hate sin. And we show that hatred through what is called repentance. Uh, Repentance means you are contrite over the sin you have done because of your love for Jesus Christ. And therefore, we try again and again to do what is proper and right. And, And many a times we succeed, but we often don't realize it because it's such a natural part of us now with the Holy Spirit within us that we are properly motivated by God. So this is a very clear teaching that the one who trusts in Christ is already righteous and has what the law requires. What is what? Perfect obedience. It's just that it's not our obedience. It's the obedience of Christ. And therefore, the law does not accuse or condemn such a person. The believer's works please God as if they satisfied the law even though in reality they do not. So to kind of understand uh, Christianity, faith is necessary by which it alone establishes that we are pleasing to God on account of Christ. Then we say that the righteousness of a good conscience is necessary but it's still impure and imperfect before God. Psalm 143.2 says, No one living will be justified in your sight. And why is that? It's again a distinction of theology. Romans 7. We have a new man that definitely, by the power of the Holy Spirit, produces fruit of faith. But the old Adam always has wrong motivation. So faith alone saves. Because our works could never save. And in this way, the conscience is freed from the terrors of sin and death. And therefore, our works now have a totally different motivation. Why? When we are freed from the terrors of sin and death, we therefore don't have to obey the law in order to be saved. We are free to obey the law without an ulterior motive, just because we love God. This was not taught by the Roman Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation, and it seems like there's a lot of evangelicals out there today who believe in open-your-heart theology that do not teach this either. I mean, you've got some pretty important teachers saying that the reason you don't get blessed is because you're not obedient enough. So it's really important to understand 
when we talk about the necessity of doing good works. Just as we say it with an adopted child. The necessity of doing good works is not possible prior to the adoption. It's an infant. But after the adoption and you become a member of the family, then there is a necessity of doing good works. Imagine if you never came to dinner on time. Imagine if you stayed out all night and didn't get home when you were supposed to. So there's no doubt that good works are necessary, and from God's point of view, they do take place. And I can prove it from Matthew 25. The sheep are going to heaven, it sounds like, because of all the good works that they were doing, of which they ask, when do we do this? We don't remember any of this. (laughs) Because... When you do something spontaneously and you're unaware of the fact that from God's point of view, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, but you do it spontaneously because of your love for Jesus and the Holy Spirit within you, you don't count it. Say, look at God. Now I deserve to be saved because I'm not like that tax collector because look at I tithe, I fast. I help out my neighbor. I take care of my kids. I do a good work, uh, do a good job at work, etc., etc. No, none of that is necessary. So getting down to the point we want to make, just as a person normally isn't good-looking until they are good-looking, on the part of the parents, they may believe that that child is good-looking. And that's all that counts. So also, although many people believe you are not righteous until you act in a righteous way, that is contrary to the Christian faith. Through faith in Jesus, which, by the way, is also a gift from the Holy Spirit, believing these promises of the gospel, God declares you righteous while you are still a sinner. There's a Latin phrase, similustus et peccator, at the same time, just and sinner. And we often will say, well, what percentage? No, it's 100% sinner, but it is also 100% righteous. It's called forensic justification. And if, if you want to try and explain it to somebody, keep in mind the, the court kind of episode I told you about where a judge says you are innocent to go even though you're guilty because of extenuating circumstances, uh, because the policeman didn't really check the radar detector. The extenuating circumstances that declares you to be righteous was not a mistake on the part of anybody. It was a plan from before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would take upon himself your sin Pay the punishment for that sin so that your conscience now is clear. The promise of declaring you to be righteous means that you will never come under the curse of the law and die eternally for your sin. Because from God's point of view, 
you have no sin. And all your works are righteous because of Christ. This is a message that really needs to be heard by many people who are in despair, thinking they are not saved because their works fail so often. We may continue this conversation tomorrow with Wes Reimnitz, or you may have something else on your mind that we can talk about. Don't hesitate to listen to tomorrow's broadcast, and we'll have maybe a different subject. But we're looking forward to talking to Wes, as we always do, for Rumination Thursday. Want to get a hold of me? Law and Gospel at lawandgospel101.com. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday at this time on Worldwide KFUO. For a contribution to the program, make your check payable to Law and Gospel and mail it to Pastor Tom Baker, Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. You can call toll-free at 1-877-267-1962 or email lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.